Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm Alex Collegian. I'm Ryan Gibson. Well, this is, yeah, Karen Moncrief. For, for those that have joined us for the last two weeks, uh, we're in our third part of Karen Moncrief. Part so. three. It were, it's an experiment, Moncrief. you know. She had a lot to say. We love all of it. And so here we go, part three. If you like it, we'll see. If you don't, then we'll see that She'll never too. be back. She'll never no, be back. No, no, it's not even no, about No, she's her. fired. It's about us. It's about our decision. Oh, right. No, Karen, fascinating. Like, seriously, part one and two. If you haven't heard it, you got to go back and listen to it. Part Parts one and two. But this... But you can, whatever. Join us for this if you... No, they have to. Or... <laughs> It's man, I think it's locked if they don't listen to the other two. It's like an yeah, achievement like that you get on Xbox. Yeah. It's like, I want to say, though, part three. This is the last show of the season, and also it's one of the best. Yeah, The Piano. Check it out. It's a fun one. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. We're in part three of the interview with Karen Moncrief, which covers the film The Piano. The 19, is it 92? 93? 93. 93. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> By Jane Champion. Campion. Campion. Not Champion. Yes. Jane Campion. Not Champion. <laughs> who wrote it, directed it, didn't star in it. Not the triple threat, but she also won an Academy Award for writing. She it. did. She did. She did. They, and she was uh, nominated as a director. That was the big uh, It's film. funny because I was thinking that that she won for, but I know she won this past year for Power of the Dog. But she won the, she was the first woman to win the Palme d'Or as a female director. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. There we go. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So sad. It was the nineties when a female director won. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, until then they just didn't know how. (laughs) (laughs) It was impossible to actually realize a woman could direct. Yeah. So, you know, that, what you just said, you know, realizing a woman could direct, that was part of the reason, I guess, why I chose the piano to talk about, even though, as I was saying to you guys, I know it's arguably an A side instead of a B side because it's a... <laughs> I'm glad you're recognizing yeah. I definitely recognize it. So we don't have to spend time talking about that. But <laughs> But it has been I allowed. Think, Hold on. I think there are probably a lot of people who are coming up right now who maybe, you know, don't know it. aren't aware of it yeah. at all. So There's, for those people, absolutely. The, this will be for them. It's, so yeah, for me, it was that year that I was mentioning. I turned 30 that year and I got divorced uh, just before that. And I, and along comes this movie. And I remember just, I, I remember being so struck by the trailer before I ever, you know, went into the theater to actually see the film. And it was so gorgeous. Now, of course, if I look back at the trailer, it's got like that awful voiceover guy, the guy that did everything. He did everything. <laughs> Holly Hunter, Harvey Keitel, Sam Neill, The Piano. The critics say, so moving and original, it is a triumph. But at the time... It, it seemed to say it was so lyrical and poetic and deep and dark and sexy and sort of everything that I love all rolled up into one. And this amazing score, was it Michael Nyman? Oh my God. Yeah. That, it was just, it was so, so gorgeous. So when I actually went to the theater, uh, it was just one of those moments where I was watching this movie and it was like somebody had hooked me up to intravenous like nutrition and food. I just felt like I was being fed to into like every fiber of my being. And I loved it so, so much. The performances were exquisite. Holly Hunter plays Ada. Harvey Keitel's Harvey Keitel, you know, but for Harvey Keitel, he did really well. Like you couldn't feel him reading cue cards. So, it, you know, it was. Um, is, that, is that his reputation? Is he one of those guys? It's his reputation, oh. sadly. Yes. Even though he's, I think he's really, he's really effective in that role. But just Anna, young Anna Paquin, if nobody's see, seen her, I don't know how old she was at the time, like maybe. 11. Know, seven or so, 11? Okay. She was the second <laughs> youngest off. Oscar winner after Tatum O'Neill. 
Oh my God, that so performance good. She's so good. is just incredible. And so having directed kids, I know that whenever you're saying that kid was so incredible, really what you ought to be saying is that director <laughs> is so incredible and worked <laughs> and with us. No, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's not, Jane says that she'd been seeing tons and tons of kids. And when Anna came in, she was this like teeny thing. And then she started, you know, I think they were doing an improv and she was telling a story in the improv and, you know, she was just riveted by this kid. So obviously Jane knew enough to pick the right person for that role and then allow her to do what she did. And she and Holly apparently were really bonded and, and you, you can see it. I, I think I mentioned to you guys that right now I'm fostering five cats and there are three little kittens. Oh, there are four that are of the same litter. And there are three of those are these three black cats with these golden eyes. And they they almost move as one. And it just reminds me of Anna Paquin and Holly Hunter. There are a couple moments in the piano where where they just, they're listening to something. I think it's, they're listening to Sam Neill, yeah. who, who buys Ada. And so yeah, they and go he's to saying, all right, and, this is how it's going to go. And they just, yeah. they both kind of just stare at him for his various edicts and do whatever exactly. they want. Yeah, exactly. And they, and they both cock their head at exactly yeah. the same angle. <laughs> oh yeah. And there's so much like Diane Arbus in this too. Mm-hmm. Like they're so, I just also loved, like one of the things I've always hated about American movies is how sanitized they always are. Like even people who, you know, lived in this time period would have squeaky clean hair and makeup on, you know, and it just all feels fake and bullshitty. But like Jane Campion went all in on the, like the greasy hair and the sort of realistic knot, you know, these people, you see their faces and Anyway, like the two of them together, it just, it felt so raw and true. And I just love this movie. Can you tell how much I love this movie? Yeah. So those performances were amazing. And then like the dark sexuality in it. I don't, I just like, I hadn't seen a lot of that and I just thought it was amazing. So yeah, sorry, you guys can talk about it. What did you think of the piano? Other than thinking, A, I don't think you see a movie like this made today, which is sad sad in so many ways. But I just thought, how hard was this production? On oh, right. And when she talks about it, she talks about it as this little tiny movie out of New Zealand. And I'm like, holy shit, I'd love, a, you know, I'd love to be able to like go into the jungle and move a piano on the beach or, whatever, you know, geez. Anyway, mu- yeah. just moving the camera yeah. and I, I was trying to figure out like how they lit it and how just where was everything else that is supplemental behind the camera. They used a lot of available light. They, they I think yeah. I was really obsessed with the look of this film for a really long time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Stuart Driver. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but I think they used Fuji film and they let it go blue like they used tungsten film and then let it go blue because she wanted the jungle to look like the bottom of a fish tank which I just love and it has this you know the, the collision of colors in this film like all the interiors are this really amber warm feeling like kind of almost yeah suffocating sort of warmth in a certain way and then the jungle is this blue, like this otherworldly kind of blue. And then also like when you see under the, the ocean. And so, anyway, the colors are amazing. I will say that it was really strange though to, because I hadn't seen it since probably the 90s. It was strange to see Anna Paquin's character like turn on her mom. Whether she was realizing she was doing it or not, I think she feel like she knew what she was doing because in the beginning yeah. she's like, I'm not even going to call him dad. I'm not yeah. going to call him. I'm yeah. not going to call him anything. Yeah. And then at the end, and then as the relationship between her and Kaitel grow, it seems to me like Paquin knows that this is not a bueno thing. And well, no, she, the, the dad thing was Sam Neill. The dad thing was Sam Neill. I think she, I think I I thought the film established that she was jealous that of the attention. Exactly. It wasn't like she hated him or hated the situation. It was just, she just didn't understand why her mom was, 
she had been cold for so long and never shown any interest in anyone but but the daughter. So all of a sudden there's this interloper for her attention. I didn't think it was anything more than that. Just a little girl not understanding. Like, wait, I thought I was maybe the miss- apple of your eye. I felt it was that and also maybe a little more too. Like I, I think the her witnessing, you know, through the keyhole essentially or the, you know, the yes, knothole. There was a lot um, of spying. some of the sexuality. Yes. yes. I, I think she she knew, like having been brought up in the I guess with the the sort of morals. Well, the that, Victorian yeah, exactly. era, whatever, yeah. The uh, exactly right. that she just instinctively knew this her mom was going in a direction that she was gonna go to hell. I mean, she mm. says it, you're going to hell. Right. You know, like at some point she screams that. And so I think she was also trying to, you know, put her mom on the right path and certainly didn't think that it was going to cost her mom her finger. Sorry, spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's tw- 30 years, folks. We, we're sorry. 30 year uh, window mm-hmm. for this. A finger gets <laughs> chopped. <laughs> that was the part that uh, I don't know how I felt about it. I mean, I get it. The finger? No, the all oh, the what? voyeurism, all the um, oh. the spot. You know, Sam Neill is watching, and Harvey Keitel is watching, and the little girl is watching. I mean, what do you? It's interesting that a female filmmaker was using that, right? You, usually, those kinds of scenes are associated with somebody like a Brian De Palma. Yeah, but I feel like she was she was also like it's about Ada coming into her own sexually. So it's not, and yes, the kid, and, and it's also about the child, like trying to make sense of an adult world. So she's right. using like that gaze. And I felt like, and Sam Neill is also so His character is so cut off from his own sexuality and his own desire. Oh, and what, you know, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and this was the same year as uh, Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> I'm not again. Yeah, ninety three. Sure. Yeah, was it was it? like oh, okay. he was okay. everyone's beloved sort of like befuddled uncle in that film, and he was just so great and shitty in this movie. You know, I think it had to do the voyeurism had to do with the times. Yeah, I think sort of that because no one, no one got their their rocks off, the rocks off. So, <laughs> in a normal Puritan way, I think people were forced to not be devious, not be devious, but to, to like spy it, everything's in secret. And what's yeah. more secret than being by yourself and spying. I think each character had a different relationship with the knot hole, which is Sam Neill at first was the turned not hole. It was informational. At the yeah. Beginning, and then he it, was like, Oh, it turned, that's what it happens when, when a lady likes when you touch them. <laughs> yeah. And then, it, and then it turned into a sexual thing for him. It was obviously annoying and angered him a great deal, but he kept watching. So it must, there mm. was something else there. I feel. See, I, I love that. I love that aspect that like these people are all trying to figure it out. They don't have pornography. They don't have such sex education. All of it is repressed, as you were saying. Yeah, exactly. They're they're all having to invent their own relationship to the reality uh, of sex. And and I loved I love that scene when he locks her in essentially that she is still trying to figure out like can I love him and she objectifies him so like so in that way I just think this female filmmaker was subverting certain things like things that we are so used to the woman being objectified and instead she's looking at the Sam Neill character like can she be gratified sexually through him? Not because she loves him. She loves Bane. You know, she, she, she's got a thing for, I think his name is Bane's, the um, Harvey Keitel character, but she's kind of fixated on his bare ass and he's like freaked out. Like she's like, you know what I mean? I just think it's, it's really, it's, it feels really human, like really beautifully human. And they allow her, she's kind of like this feral cat in a certain way, like trying to, they talk all about her will and how strong it is. And so strong that like, I feel like her not talking is a really intuitive, strong rejection of the world that she's been living in, you know, this repressed world. And so by the end of it, she's been set free from that in a way. And I know a lot of people have a gripe with it. 
like, oh, okay, it's not a feminist movie because the protagonist is mute and whatever. But I feel like, hey guys, the world isn't a perfect place for women. And so let's like find a way to talk about what sucks in an artful way and then find a way But she's in charge to- of that. She's in charge of being mute. Yeah, exactly. And she makes everyone else bend to her and communicate with her. So on her terms. Yeah. That's very short. And actually a lot of writing (laughs) describes it as like it it was a choice on her part. Yeah. Yeah. She talks about that. And, and even like at the end when she has the beginnings of verbal. Well, at the very end when, when they're on the boat, the piano, the boat might capsize and the piano everything to her. And she says, throw it over. And when they do, like, no one's going to have to watch this movie now because we're like saying every like beat in it. But when they do in a script, it says that she has a fatal curiosity and she puts her foot in the ropes and like gets, you know, pulled overboard. And that like sort of interest in exploring, like what will happen if I do that? I just think she's just such a fucking fascinating character. I really do. Just such an interesting character, the way that she is just like, yes, I have this super strong will and I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to talk and I'm going to stick my foot in this rope and see what happens. And then. And such a verbal actor. I mean, I think about broadcast news and that rat attack dialogue, Bobby, 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 or like uh, my, one of my favorites of hers, which is uh, raising Arizona, you know, where she just does that ridiculous accent, you know, turn to the right (laughs) to see this. I mean, her accent's pretty good. I'm what little, you mm-hmm. get of it, but um, yeah, the choice to do, well, I mean, I guess that was the script, but she's an interesting choice. Not the first choice. Apparently not. Yeah. yeah I remember reading uh, that. That's Sigourney Weaver. Me. Oh gosh. Which you could stack three Holly Hunters on top of each other and add up to one Sigourney Weaver. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, she, Holly Hunter's five, two, I think Sigourney Weaver's like, you know, almost six feet tall. So, and that's so interesting. You know that line in, in the piano where he says she's stunted or <laughs> well, something? Well, no, I love right? how Samuel right? kind of examines her like he bought something yeah. mail order. Like, is this nasty? Is right. That, this, this doesn't is look like the I picture. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I love that. So good. And she's so severe. Yes. Yes. So not not lovely, not comely, not what you expect for, you know. Right. And that's why it's a great payoff later. Yeah. 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 I I don't know who says this isn't a feminist film. I mean, Harvey Keitel bears all. I mean, this was a groundbreaking movie for a lot of reasons, but certainly felt like it. What I loved about it was seeing Keitel in the jungle and I could imagine what he would have been Mm. like in Apocalypse Now. Mm. He's on a boat, Mm -hmm. he's in the jungle, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. also roped in. Like the whole movie has a stillness and especially somebody like, oh, you know, you think of Holly Hunter, all her sort of like caffeinated sort of performances and that something, some of the stuff we mentioned, but like Keitel's like, I mean, you do see his explosiveness finally, but everybody's so repressed, not even just in their sexuality, but like they're, they're speaking and they're moving and everything's just so tied down. Yeah. That moment where he says, go go, you know, and he just repeats it. It's like, it's funny. Like, I love it. And I hate that moment too. Like, like I kind of, I often think about that part if it had been in the hands of someone else, but if it was Scorsese, he'd be like, go, how many times I gotta (laughs) tell you, you know what I mean? He would, he would have really like, yeah, he would, he would have chewed it up instead of just, yeah, that sort of, it made it sadder and more pathetic. He just couldn't even say it. it. Yeah. I actually felt one of the things I really admire about her work is that she rounds all the characters out. So I cared about all of them, even the Sam Neill character, all of them. I just, I, they were all very multifaceted and they all, they were all wildly imperfect, but really, really human. And I, I just loved it. So I have to ask you, did you guys like Power of the Dog? Because I know that it's a hugely divisive movie. I loved it, not surprisingly. I loved, loved, loved it. Loved it when I saw it in the theater. And it was like, I think the first movie I saw back after the pandemic in a theater. And so I was just like, oh, I'm home. But did you guys hate it? Or what did you think? I did not see it. 
Didn't oh, see okay. I did not Ryan, see it. Ryan, did you see it? No, it's didn't okay. see it. And I had it on my list and it became a thing. And I'm like, at that time in my life, I was all about like, where's a Gene Kelly movie? I don't want any. Uh, Do you know what I mean? It got sucked I into so a culture. I know what you mean. It got I'm sucked so... into a culture conversation, which I don't think they meant to do. They were just telling a story. I mean, she did kind of stand up for it after, but I don't think she was purposely throwing a hand grenade at anybody. You know, it was just a story she wanted to tell. But it just became another thing. And, you know, it's kind of like why I haven't watched Succession. Uh Uh-huh. To be retrograde, but I'm referencing the other stuff we talked about. And like Playboy Playmates in the 70s, they were always like, turn offs, mean people. Like, I'm with you, sister. Like, I don't want to, I I'm, <laughs> like, I'm kind of very, after COVID, I'm very sensitive. You know, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. like seeing people be mean to each other. Like I've been trying to get into this Game of Thrones, uh, the new one. And I just realized like I've had enough of the super dark, shitty people stories. Like, uh, yeah, I understand. I went on a big, well, it was Christopher Guest. There was a lot of like after Spinal Tap, I think we watched in, in COVID like Spinal Tap four times and then watched all of the Christopher Guest. Nice. The, all the movies. And then yeah. also, and then went on like a Cary Grant tear and Humphrey Bogart tear. Just watched all of So I totally get you. Like I yes. just want like old, safe. Yeah. Like, like my HBO terrible, Max thing yeah. got me through it because I was like, oh, okay. Maltese Falcon. Great. Okay. Casablanca. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like yes, Dark yes. Passage. Like I just, that's yeah. where I went, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally get and that. And I'm coming out of it. And it is on my list. I have heard great things about it. And I do respect her. And I do really like Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. But again, like... <laughs> well, now that you've heard a lot about it, it may not... Like, that's I, the I went to see it before it had, like, become the juggernaut that it eventually became before she won the Oscar for it. And I just, like, I was so hungry for another Jane Campion movie. You know, I just was so excited to see a Jane Campion movie. And I I was really divided with the people that I saw it with. And, you know, there was uh, uh, one of my daughters, her best friend's dad, like, he loved, what was the Paul Thomas Anderson movie of that year that I hated? Licorice Ugh, Pizza. I fucking hated that Ooh. movie. Sorry. That was my first movie out of COVID. Yeah, I hated that movie. Hated it. He loved that movie. I hated that movie, and he hated Power of the Dog. And I love Power of the Dog, so you know, there's something for everyone. All right, I want to talk about MacGuffins, the piano. There's something great about a non-human object to focus. The film on, the visuals on, the characters' aspirations, the reflection. Also, she doesn't of each of speak. Them. And she says, like, the piano, but the she, piano I don't remember is exactly my voice what the, yeah, yeah, like, the, there's some line that the piano is a sort of surrogate for her her voice and, and her it exp- definitely it carries But how each character emotion. reacts to it defines them, uh-huh. right? Oh, Harvey Keitel oh, is like, love that. do you know what I mean? Like he's like, ah, yeah. it's too heavy. Leave it behind. And then, you know, she, she insists, she persists. Or what was that line from? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she persisted. persisted yeah. Or she, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she finagles them to, to bring it. And then mm-hmm. he discovers he a sensitivity that he never knew. <gasps> yeah. You know? Yeah. He trades 80 acres for that. That's right. (laughs) Prime real estate. Yeah. Prime sheep land. Um, Yeah. But right. And then, you know, it allows us to, it's kind of like if you've ever been in a relationship and there's a dog, the dog helps fill in the gaps, you know, Mm -hmm. there's another focus in the room and you don't have to have that awkward conversation or whatever. So I'm always fascinated by movies where there's a very clear, central you know raiders of the lost ark maltese falcon i mean obviously those are much more like either detective or sort of adventure genres but there's Mm -hmm. something really cool about that this thing and even just that you know the haunting imagery of it's left on the beach and then oh Oh, my god it's so gorgeous yeah Yeah. it just keeps coming back as like oh the tide's gonna eat it no it made it through and now it's schlepping through the jungle okay and kind of shades of like like, Fitzgerald, right and then he gets it tuned and then he gets it it to be out of tune and that's like one of the first moments where she looks at him like yeah yeah yeah. exactly exactly and and right and because why because it's the subtext it's the you know he's not just saying 
I find He's you not comely. just some brute. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's doing something for her. He's doing yeah. something considerate. And even yeah. by the end, he's fighting heaven and earth to get that goddamn piano out of there. And she's the one who says, no, just let so it go. No. I know you love me. You don't have to prove it to me. Like She rips that key out and writes, you have my heart. Yes. And has, you know, yes. the key that like almost becomes that, like the finger. Yes. And, oh, and, and it's so like, it's like dismantling part of herself, yes. but it's like that. Like but if now he has her matter. heart, she is dismantled. That's, that's you know? when the piano dislodges from that's her heart. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And it's she's ready an to object. throw it over. Yes. And, and, and claim her own voice mm-hmm. eventually, right? Yes. The piano she doesn't, doesn't have to need speak need the her. Dumbo's feather anymore. She can exactly she can fly yeah there's a really cool line in there where one of the natives says one of the indigenous people say it lost its voice i I was i I really picked up on that that's of course when anna paquin sells and then you see it in the 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 ocean i mean it's it you can just tell the whole movie from shots of the piano like where the plot is what's going on you know and when she's denied the piano, how she carves in the table, <laughs> like the, yes, and she's playing that it silently. Oh and he God. says, he's like, is she, have you ever is seen she, that before? Is she, da- is she damaged? Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he says something is like, yeah. insane? like yeah. should I call Sears yeah. and Roebuck? <laughs> it's almost like the piano is like an omnipotent viewer mm-hmm. of everything that was going on is, yeah. I mean, kind of, it's a very strange it's used as a bartering tool. I mean, Alex, you bringing this up is awesome because it's used as a bartering tool. It's used to control people. It, it's, it's a, a sexual uh, a marital aid. It is. Yeah, totally. So many keys yes. and you get this yes. sexual act, Okay, right? 10 keys. Like ten the- key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those key it, deals way too easy. I think sometimes. I mean, just, you know, keys. it's, it's a, it's a class. It's one of my favorite things. It's the MacGuffin, you know, it's the, and I'm so sorry you guys didn't see power of the dog because she does a little quote in there where they are moving a piano into, you know, how they're always like lugging this piano around. <laughs> they lug a piano and move it into Kirsten Dunst's house. Uh, Jesse Plemons uh, gets her a pianola. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a whole thing about her playing the piano. Of course, so she that's almost play like self-referential. Huh? It is. Yeah. It it clearly <laughs> is. And and I'm sure she was winking oh, at yeah. people like me yeah. who love her, who worship at her feet. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. She was tough enough to go out there and make you know and deal with the the production of that film. I I still I'll bring it. I brought brought it up in the beginning, but. There was nothing easy about making that movie. I, no. Like, and oh I'm sure God, no. I, I would no. guarantee you they did not have rain machines, which means they mm. were filming during raining se- raining oh, season. Yeah, and I mean, mm-hmm. and they were shooting on film, like you said. Yeah, they had stuff. I, I, I mean, the technical issues with all of that, with the gear. Oh, just the jungle just, alone would have jammed the camera. You know, the water and just everything. I mean, so and especially the budget and the was. Mud. Seven the million mud, dollars the mud would have been a real problem. They did all that for seven million dollars. Mm, yeah, yeah, the mud, the mud, exactly. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, and that's all real. Yeah, I didn't know Anna Paquin won uh, an Oscar for it. She did. I was not aware. And man, she, she like I saw. I also revisited it and not, hadn't looked at it since probably the nineties. Um, and she deserved it. <laughs> I mean, that oh, kid is yeah. that is such an incredible incredible performance but that, that is the one thing alex and i said afterwards what's was that alex, alex you know we were talking about it and we said i think we both said at the same time i was like whoa i wondered where anna paquin came from and then we and now we're like, like duh but now we're like now yeah she's <laughs> killed like, in fact killed i didn't her. even think of her as like you know the woman from the mod, you know, all the X Men movies and just everything she's done, True since Blood, and True Blood, and and yeah. you know, she's like a pop culture sort of mainstay now. Person, she was yeah. A, yeah, she was a real child actor, incredible. Like, she was and seems much more <laughs> like balanced than than we've seen others turn out, especially. But mm. yeah, I mean, yeah. just amazing all around. Technically, some of her yeah. compositions just are just oh. stunning and yeah the, the back of, of her head flow. with that bonnet whipping yeah. <laughs> in the in, you know and looking out at the beach and then also like just the sort of simplicity and beauty of something like when they're on the beach 
how it's her pe- it's her hoop skirt and like petticoat that becomes the tent and it's illuminated from within and it's this gorgeous which little, becomes that little image home. later yeah her, right? yes the heat right. the heat of her loins yes i <laughs> I really hadn't thought of that. Hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. Yeah. That play is an awesome scene. Blackbeards. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Which apparently has the, yeah, the whole, the ax thing. It was kind of helped inspire, I think, some of the plot. Yeah. There's a bit of foreshadowing there. (laughs) I for sure thought this was a book. I mean, it so feels like a novel of that era. She really She says that it was like the first thing that she started to work on before she made, I think, even, you know, Angel at My Table or Sweetie or any of those. I think it was the first, at least she started doing early drafts. Classic story. And came back to, I know, right? Yeah, Platoon was one of Oliver Stone's first scripts. And he would submit it and they'd go, this is an amazing writing sample. What else you got? And this never made it, never made it. And finally, yeah, it's, there's that, that, that's a common refrain, actually. There's a lot of filmmakers that have that bottom of the drawer script that they really love. And, you know, whenever someone says you got anything, they send that first. And usually, it, you know, oh, this, this is brilliant writing. We'll never, ever make it. But God, this is the best <laughs> yeah. script I ever made. You know, how yeah, many yeah, times yeah. have people heard that? This is the best yeah. script I ever made. We'll never make it. What we'll else? We'll never you got? make it. Yeah. yeah. This just there is the, a thing in Wikipedia that does say something about that it was significantly influenced by Jane Manders, the story of New, of a New Zealand river and African Queen, which I've picked up a lot of too. The sort of uh, rough man and the, and the classic woman, yeah. and the, you know. I don't know the the Manders thing. I I had heard there was some. Is that the some allegation of plagiarism? Is that no 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 no? I think she was just talking about her inspirations. I I don't know that they had any problems with people thought this was no. I remember hearing something. Some is totally unique to me, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what what that was about. But there was a moment when there was something like that. Also. The the score, I feel like you can't talk about the piano no. without, that's a movie, usually I like scores to just, to not be in my face. And I say that in a couple of the movies that we've just been talking about, that I love, the two Jane Campion movies we've just been talking about have scores that are pretty prominent, but they feel so right for the movie. And this one, apparently, Michael Nyman wrote the stuff because he knew Holly Hunter was going to have to play. And she played, but not, I think she had. I always love that. that of, okay. Um, how many seconds are they on her hands? All right. Pam, right. is it her face? Are they cutting? Are right. they, oh, it's really her. She it's learned really that whole her. part. <laughs> or, she or they is actually it playing. But apparently he was also writing for her. Yeah. Like, so that she, he like saw what she could do, what her, like, I guess, finger, I don't know anything about the piano because I do not play, but like what her finger span was, what, what she could physically do. Right. And then wrote for her, which I just think, you know, it's really cool. And I just think the music is haunting. I love that. And so of a same sort as the film. Mm, I mean, it doesn't stick out. It it just kind of blends in and definitely feels perfect for this. But yeah, it makes you think about going back to there was no porn to watch. Like there was nothing to do out there. So having that beautiful music was such a palliative, I think, for how hard they were living. There was, yeah. I, I would, I mean, look, I'm, I'm trying to make up things to complain about, but like <laughs> Sam Neill was so well acted. There were times when I'm like, come on. I mean, this, you know how sometimes in these sort of Victorian dramas, you know, the central conceit that doesn't allow the heroine to fulfill herself or whatever is always kind of slight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, Cause mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm. really? He wouldn't hear her play and, and, that wouldn't like have him be you like, wouldn't oh, want to get, get her piano. Well, just, just <laughs> fine. Maybe he doesn't want to, you know, maybe, maybe the romance part isn't working out, but he's like, wow, this is lovely. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just like can't even melt his shitty heart, you know? And mm-hmm. some of the old bitty kind of stuff, like, oh, she's not of our sort. Uh, you know, it was a little, almost like a fairy tale, right? They felt, it, it they felt like the, is, um, yeah. yeah, they felt like the evil step, step uh, on the step sister. <laughs> face yes that, <laughs> totally. that, that kind of stuff it was a little but i i think i have heard it described as a fairy tale 
Yeah, I love that about it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very, yeah. it feels very intentionally, like, like a, in the same way that, yeah, yeah. Blackbeard, or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the, is Bluebeard, Blackbeard, what color is the beard of the guy who kills his wives? You can't remember. The Bluebeard is the, Bluebeard. Uh, is the play. Bluebeard, yeah, yeah, okay. The fairy it's like tale, right? It's, it's blue, a fairy yeah. tale. Yeah. It's and Bluebeard. The, okay. Yeah. yeah like, it, exactly. I feel like she's being very intentional about um, kind of evoking that. And, and man, because it goes to dark places, as fairy tales do. And apparently they, you know, they serve a really important function in people's lives, allowing us to sort of process darkness and, you know, terrible things, even as children, to start to like, understand death, understand loss. going yeah. on in the world. Yeah. Yes. But also the happy ending, you know, that originally I think she intended to end it with the drowning. I thought for sure. Yeah. I did, couldn't remember. It felt and I thought like, for sure she was dead. Yeah. It I, felt I was like, like oh, the end that's of the, the ending right yeah, there. The movie that we began with, that felt like the logical ending. And so when she was resurrected and had that sort of epilogue of happy domestic life, it did feel like the filmmaker was like falling in love with these characters and saying, you know what? She, I don't want to give him that. Yeah, fate. you know what? Give it to. <laughs> yeah. Let's give it to her. Yeah. You know, she's just she lost. She she it lost her nice. finger. Oh no, I, I I'm not. I love the ending. I'm just no, saying I'm it's saying, a fairy yeah. tale ending. I'm saying it was nice. Yeah, it yeah. was nice. I mean, it, it, I was I was actually shocked knowing Campion. I, yeah, I really fully and not thought like that haunting image thought, was it. Right? I thought the boat yeah. was definitely going down. Yeah, the whole thing. They're all dead, and it was going to catch on fire underwater for sure. No doubt. Power of the Dog has an uplifting Uh, ending too. I mean, yes, somebody dies, but totally. Someone had to die. It has a a good... uh, I'm sure there's a mean man and I'm sure he gets his Yeah, that's right. Exactly. There's always a mean man. We talk about kids humping trees and washing trees afterwards. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. (laughs) That was hilarious. I think that's the Sam Neill character to a T. He cared about his land. He cared about puritanism he didn't care initially about having sex with his new purchased wife he knew it was going to work out it was he was sure that it was going to work out in the end because how could she not well love i him think he did the, care i just think he, there wasn't much he could do about it you know he well when he saw it saw what could happen then he was like oh i want some of that then <laughs> things changed but i i think like when you think about the time period which i think is the eight i can't remember but let's say it's 1880s in new it zealand it was 1986 that was the big reveal shit. at the end is you just see a helicopter fly by right and, like, and then and then you the see the tra- you see like a tyrannosaurus <laughs> walking. Yeah. yeah i think that's a really cool thing that she did in her that she did for the production value is that she sets the time perfectly and he's a landowner and he doesn't care like the only thing he cares about when baines gives the piano back he runs over there to find out if the deal is still on. Like mm-hmm. he's like, I don't, I don't want the deal. Like, don't. This doesn't ruin our deal. I'm not giving the land back. He doesn't care about. And he gives them buttons for moving the piano, and they get all pissed off about the buttons. <laughs> rightfully so. Yeah, there's a bit of the. Uh, he's a kind of a miser, and there, there is a little tiny bit of like, oh, these are colonizers and whatever. But I, you know, I mean, it's. It's so hard to see these kind of movies now, you know, so many years later, but I don't know that they would have made it like this. I bet they would have made the Kaitel character Maori, you know, I mean, that some things mm. probably would have changed, but I mean, it was for its time, it was handled pretty deftly, the whole sort of colony question and, you know, the, oh, the, I thought it was the great. natives versus great. the settlers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's the best line, the native, one of the natives gives the best line in the whole movie. It's sad to see that lay on your stomach. Don't it'd be sad to see it lay on your stomach. I can't remember how it goes, but it, you know the line I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About Harvey Keitel's Yeah, Harvey Keitel's dick. penis. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's yep. a hilarious it's a line. One. It's yeah. it's a great line. Well, she and she would know. Like clearly he's been with he's her been, and a yeah, bunch of exactly. you know, he's like been, uh, it's going native, like, as they say. Yeah. But they have a yeah. different view yeah. of sexuality compared yeah. to the Puritan. And tra- that's, the, yeah, like, that traveled. was pretty clear. Yeah. Like what are the, what's all the fuss about you guys? Yeah. Right. Right. 
I thought it was, you know, I don't think the movie could be made today because I just don't think you could make that movie today for audience. I, I just don't think people go see it. And that movie did 140 million at the box office. Well, like, that unfortunately brings us back to Harvey. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's full. Right? The, the, the critical and the economic success of this film, while deserved, and it was a very good, is a very good movie. I don't know in anybody else's hands it would have um, made as much money. I mean, yeah, he made no, these sure small, not. independent. Oh, you're talking very about director dri- <laughs> No, the, the other. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the other. Harvey uh, W. The other Harvey. Oh, um, oh, oh, yes, oh! I thought yes. I thought you were saying no, that Kaitel no, carried the, the movie. Oh because no, no, sorry, no, sorry the, if it wasn't. I monster, forgot there are two Harveys. The, yeah. the true monster in the in the in the jungle that's never addressed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but his, he had to have the foresight to know that's a huge. I mean, I guess it's not a huge risk because, well, no, it's still seven million dollars. I mean, it's somewhat seven, seven that million made one hundred and forty million. But I how mean, would you know? I mean, no, she you, was still I, a you young. Don't director. know, but I'm saying that was his. He had the golden nose. This director right. has yeah. a vision. Yeah, that's you right. Know? That now is, he probably right. tortured her. She probably came back with a first budget of like. Dragging, you know, eighty people through a jungle. I need twenty nine no, million. Here's seven. I think the movie movie was already made, and then he found it. And is that know, the story? It was he, a pickup. Yeah, I do not believe that he financed it. Okay. No, because I I think it was a New Zealand production. It was France, and yeah, it. Yeah. And now I remember France and New Zealand paid. It was a joint yeah. venture between their movie, uh, their film commissions. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah, and I think he was, like you said, the golden, the nose. Yeah. Put it into the giant catapult that he had really yep. well oiled at yep. that point where he takes yep. a, oh, look at this good little local film. I'm going to make it an international blockbuster with by sheer will of, you know, vision or whatever. So Take away the nudity and you could see that movie on Thursday or Friday night on PBS. Like that, <laughs> that's where it could have ended up. I mean, right. really think right. about it. Or, or I mean, Bravo it, before, you know, it became Bravo. Like when exa- they showed like Acorn. operas and symphonies and stuff on Bravo uh, back tr- in the truthfully, day. Way truthfully. Way back. Yeah, no, that's the bizarre thing. I mean, the Brits can get away. This, I don't know if Americans ever made a movie like this. The yeah, Brits have been getting away with it. Any country that supports their artists can get away with this movie as but long that's as they keep we the budget should. down. But that's, that's why right. we should. Right, that's we should. why. That's, that's why fine. Canada has a film commission. Yeah, yeah. countries New still Zealand. have film commissions. Yeah. Ireland. <laughs> yeah, they all do. They all do, <laughs> and we don't. Right, and we don't. <laughs> or, you know. Yeah. Do you guys like art house movies? Art. I, house? I call them yeah. broccoli movies. They're good for broccoli? you. Broccoli. Okay. Okay. Because they're good for you. They provide minerals and vitamins. <laughs> Name art, house? and that's what I mean about Power of the Dog is that my natural I have a subjective rejection of you should see this movie. I'm like, nope, it's just because sometimes you're disappointed. The original Guardians of the Galaxy is our house, right? No, like the movie that you should see says the culture, and you go, okay, right, and then you like see anything you go, by Asghar Fahadi, you should see. I'm not going to throw You're anybody in the bus because no, I'll tell you exactly why. Because you've directed a film, I've directed a film. I'll never really shit on any film ever again. No, I mean, I no. will observe why I did or didn't like it, but I'm never going to be like this person sucks. This, why? Who gave the money for this shit or whatever? Like none of that. Because even a bad film is hard to make. Or, oh, you know, so what I, I consider a hard, bad film. But all I'm saying is, is that, yeah, do I have a bias against some art house films? Yes. You know? Ah, okay. I think that there's a lot of navel gazing in that space. Yeah. You're very fair though, Alex, to be, you, you really do hold true to that. You might have questions about decisions made of a film about the story, plot, setting, whatever, but you, you truthfully do stick to that. Oh, I used to pillory movies and then I directed one and now I'm just like, (laughs) I'm kind of like the Steve Uh, Carell character in the big short. Like I, I'll never say like, see, I told you so. Like I'm, I've learned like, okay, mm -hmm, it's tough, mm -hmm. man. You know, even if I, whatever movie I truly didn't like, if I met that director in a bar or something, I'd be like, Hey, what's up? We're fellow travelers. What's (laughs) going on? You know, like I might not, talk about their movie, but I'd be like, Hey, what movies do you like? And we can find something to, to bond with, you know, mm-hmm. I just go mm-hmm. back to like most of the 
French New Wave people were inspired by the same movies I'm inspired by. Like I said, Casablanca, mm-hmm. you know, the Maltese mm-hmm. Falcon, whoever. Like, I just, it's not those for are me. My husband's because, two favorite movies. So I've seen those movies so yeah, many times. I mean, I, yeah, I, I was shocked. Movies. So, Ryan, a mutual friend of Ryan and my, I don't even know what I can say. But let me, let me try to figure this out. A good friend of Ryan and mine. I said, what are you doing next week? He said, oh, I'm out of town. I'll be in Fiji. I'm like, Fiji? What are you doing? He's like, I'm going on fill-in-the-blanks yacht. And he's got some very fancy friends. And when he was there, he saw Casablanca on the boat. And I'm like, you're (laughs) an adult. You've never seen Casablanca? He's like, oh, it's a great movie, huh? I'm like, great movie? What are you talking about? (laughs) Like it just, it kind of shocked me. And I just realized, I guess I'm an old fuddy-duddy, but I'll tell you something. I was an old fuddy-duddy at 12. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I was more into movies from, because of my parents, you know, mm-hmm. I was more into the culture of the baby boomers than I was of my own because I had just fallen in love with old films. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I see what's considered like the state of the art now, I find that I'm left wanting and that Mm. if you look at the festival circuit right now, it is a process of virtue signaling for most, for the most Mm -hmm. part, it's about what subject matters are you bringing to the cultural for, because it's your, uh, you know, it's your responsibility to, you know, create a bulwark against the, the evil forces of the red hats. And my answer is no, entertain me. That, that's why I like Jane Campion. And you know, you may not find her stuff entertaining, but she doesn't give a fuck about like virtue signaling. No, and this like film that. was She's entertaining. Like, Let's boil it down. She came to a strange land in search of a new life. We can't leave the piano. She came to a husband she had never met. It was time, I'm sure, she would come. It's beautifully shot. It's entertaining. It has a point of view. There's actual humor. It has a plot. It's a very clear narrative. It's a. It would make a brilliant short story, which is, by Mm -hmm. the way, what a lot of people say are make the best films, not novels, because there's too much chit chat, or there's too much subplot, or there's too much first person thoughts about this, that, and the other short stories are just like, don't bore us, get us to the chorus, you know, like Uh you're in and Uh out. My favorite Uh pop songs are under three minutes. You know, I just have Uh a certain aesthetic about everything. And so I'm not shitting on anybody for any reason, but I've seen a lot of films that I should have seen and been like, eh, I'll steal that one shot. Well, you know, it's always worth seeing if you find a, a yeah, shot to exactly. steal. Yeah, you know, on the other, other hand, I'm not like one of these sort of schlock meisters that want to elevate shit, right? Uh-huh, like uh-huh. you look at PTA and he's like, okay, I'm going to watch every porn that was ever shot on film, which he made his DP do, you know, before Boogie Nights or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. like, which I loved, I love, and I Boogie love Boogie Nights. Nights. So, I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like, I'm not that guy either. You know, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. could say Tarantino okay. and, and Anderson come from, a fucking like, you know, mm-hmm. McDonald's happy meal sort of cultural wasteland. And they managed to like find art in it. And that's mm-hmm. fine too. I'm somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just like elevated genre. I mean, give me a heat any day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why did you bring up art house movies, by the way? I think there was a um, reason because, for that. Because like, she could smell my sneer through the no, microphone. I, no, I, right? no, no, no. It's interesting. I know I didn't. And I didn't know at all. And it's, it's, well, that's kind of what I love about movies. Like there is truly something for everyone. Like for me, like I, like the movies that made me want to be a filmmaker were like Jane Campion's movies. I actually am one of those people. I am a feminist who really loves Lars von Trier, Thomas Vinterberg. I love him. Can't get enough of him. I love Lucas Moodyson, the Darden brothers. Did you guys ever see like La Promesse or any of the Darden brothers stuff? It might seem like no, no. okay, that's okay. No, that's okay. I haven't. No, but no. but see, like, turn me on. Like, okay, yeah. knowing what I said, are they? Is there? 
Is there some, like, like Tarkovsky, yeah. like I watched Tarkovsky and I'm like, okay, I did it. I'm not into Tarkovsky at all. Like, see, I know that's what I love about it. Like worked with GPs that are in love with Tarkovsky. I sure. don't get it. Like, it's not my, it's not my bag, you know, but like Kieslowski is totally my bag. So okay. not, not, yeah. I like red. I like double life of Veronique, but I love blue, you know? I was <laughs> so, talking to a, a, a chemist friend of mine and she was saying like, I don't. I couldn't possibly work in your field. It's so entirely subjective. Yeah, you know, totally. My yeah. job is this much fluid in this beaker at this temperature <laughs> oh, over yeah. this amount of time. Like there is no because she she also loves to bake and she's like I love baking because it's chemistry. There's it's no so precise. There's yeah. no variation. You do exactly right. this and then exactly that. Right. Mm, yeah. So, but cooking. You can always go, oh, it needs a little salt, throw it in. You know, like once you, put, <laughs> once you commit to the baking process, you're done. You, you've already failed or won, you know. So similarly, like you said, it's entirely subjective, right? I mean, you've, you've submitted scripts and one coverage is this is dog shit and the other coverage is this is incendiary and delivers me to the higher ground. You know, I just, it's like, what? Yeah. You know, somebody once said like, before you read a movie review, the reviewer should be like, well, I had a good bowel movement today. And I, uh, my girlfriend (laughs) said she loved me and, uh, you know, all is right in the world. And my review is four stars, you know, like that thing, our point of view and the way we absorb it, you know, even like, our association powers, right? We were talking about how movies, we were talking to another guest about how movies stay the same and we change. So I used the heat example to say when I was young, it was like kick ass, you know, heist scenes and shit, man. And oh, there's some boring like romantic stuff that you can skip. (laughs) But now I'm fascinated Mm. by the dissolution of a marriage and the Mm. subtleties of like, you know, the, the, the conversations of, it's not that we don't love each other. It's just that you're this like hunter in the night and I just want somebody to be present. That's subtlety. And, and I still watch the action sequences, but I changed Right. Yeah. And she was and that talking movie about, was deep enough and big enough had to, enough like, to bite, all bite down on yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. the same thing, you know, have you had a favorite film from your youth and maybe now that you actually make films, like have you rediscovered it with your kids and you're like, Oh, this doesn't really add up to what I thought it was before. You know, <laughs> everything I thought, well, yeah. well, certain ones. So I did not, come from like a film family or anything like that. And, and there was nothing highbrow about what we saw when we saw movies as a family. And then when it was just me and my mom and my sister, we would see like all the like seventies divorce movies. <laughs> Kramer right. versus Kramer. Exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, what I was just going to yeah. say. Kramer versus, which <laughs> I love. people. Like and just said, like you know, all those oh, dark yes. dramas. All yeah. the dark, sad ones. Yeah. But then also like, I remember seeing a little later, I remember seeing Splash. I love Splash. I love like, you know what I mean? Any movie. It's like a lot of people who are in love with the movies. If you haven't seen a million movies, you love every single movie you see, you know, until you start to go, hmm, okay, that's maybe not so truthful or whatever, you know, or you find what you're attracted to and and what you like. You know, you were saying something about how you don't run down anybody's movies, especially now that you have made a movie. And I really appreciate that, that sort of approach because I feel like a lot of times or sometimes critics seem to go out of their way to take down a movie where, okay, it's not the best movie, but they'll give a pass to some, like, I don't know, piece of shit where no one was trying to do anything. And I feel like, okay, if it's not for you, don't review that movie. Let somebody else, let it just take a pass, like be silent about it or whatever. I don't know. But there's something in us that thrives on conflict and drama. And a negative mm-hmm. review probably sparks more hormones in the human brain when they read it than a positive review, you know? Well, you know, reviews are also so interesting too. I don't know what your experience was like on your movie. I tried really hard. Oh, I have um, them right my- here. Can I read some? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I really, I didn't read any reviews. Then ultimately, of course like they mine your reviews and put it in your, your ads and stuff way back when we had ads in the newspaper, (laughs) um, way back then. But it's so interesting. I recently went back and looked at the New York times review for my very first movie, which is about a high school girl and her relationship with her English teacher, which we talked about a little bit. 
if you read that review, you would think that that movie was about David Strathairn's character. Like the whole beginning, and it's because it's written by a uh, guy. It was know, Stephen a Holden, aged male, or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of the, and he, his whole way into that movie, like she's kind of an afterthought later on. And everyone really loved her performance, and he particularly loved her performance and praised it. But it was all about. Like, so it's just so interesting the lens through which we come to things, and then obviously critics have such power. Oh, about I've, what movies they're interested in and yes, not interested and, and now in, they know. affect the algorithm. The, oh, I the, know. the tomato I've heard about this turns, business. right? So <laughs> like I turns. I've come full circle. So the the meanest there was one review that was like by far the meanest. So mean that it made me laugh out loud uh-huh. and I finally came around to the conclusion like okay, this person is a failed filmmaker. Uh-huh. I made a film and they didn't and she was just fed up that day. Like <laughs> I'm trying to get this damn thing going and this goof gets a film made. How dare you? Yeah. And I, like, it was so mean that it's funny. And I've said this to Ryan before, like I want her on the show and not to yeah, shit on should. her and like yeah, yeah, fight yeah, yeah. her. Just be like, yeah. Hey, like welcome to the show. Like, let's talk. That would you know? be amazing. And then eventually on Why were you so mad? Why were you so mad? Do you remember? Why were you so mean to me? (laughs) Oh, it was just the worst. But it's fun because what you do is you go back and you read the first reviews of a lot of your favorite movies. And I mean, I mean a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least they're brave enough to put their names on it. Whereas some of the the unidentified folks that can control the ups or downs of a film. They, they don't, don't even put, put their, their name, name on it and just name. like, you know, yeah, just, this, this you. is shitty. This is shitty. Don't watch it. Oh, you're Bang. talking about like commentary uh, on a, like, like modern. Yeah. Website I mean, you, yeah. I mean, look, look, the funny thing is about being a, uh, a reviewer or someone who would watch a movie and give a review. There's no qualifications anymore. No, just no, no, there's no. a pulse and like, it's all hey, equally weighted. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll pay no. you a hundred bucks. I mean, but unfortunately for art house movies, it's all about the New York times. And if, you know, if the right. New York Times isn't interested, you're fucked. I don't know if it's the still still the same. Probably not, but at the time, that's kind of how it was. Yeah, <laughs> I think there are certain reviewers who do art house who review who will go see and review art house movies, and I think it makes a difference to the community that goes and sees mm-hmm. art house movies who spends their dollar mm-hmm. to go to the cinema yeah. and watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. But you yeah. know, I I appreciate. Let me put it to you this way: I wouldn't have gone and revisited this film without you. So that's what I like about doing this show. Is that I thought the I, same I, thing. We all kind of, especially now, we are siloed into our interests, right? And it's very hard to just get a a crazy curveball thrown your way. You know, I would not seek this out. I would not, not that anybody flips around anymore, but if I saw it in a thumbnail of like some streaming platform, I don't know that I'd be compelled to watch it again. But the fact that I did and now saying like, oh, as somebody who's directed a film, I'm like, hey, wait a second. You know, this is, this is not as stodgy as I remember it. Wow. That's a great show. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, you remember the stodgy? That's funny. like yeah, yeah. again because oh, it's that like bias. Like I don't want to be broccoli. told. I don't yeah. want to be told what I should like. Right, right, right. You know, it's just and it probably thing. felt like it was going to be good for you. Yeah, See, to and, me oh, it felt like subversive. It was like ooh, you know, and I, that was the layer beneath, yeah, right? Like yeah. that. Now I see it. You know that, and, right. and again, I've changed. It has always remained a good movie, you know. But right. but now I see, like, oh no, it's kind of outlaw. Like there's a lot going on here. You know, <laughs> it looks like a very sti- like very still drama, you know, drawing room thing, like something that would be on Masterpiece Theater. If anybody remembers that when we were little kids, you know, still but, on. Is it? Still wow. on. Is it still? Um, you know, we might have to revisit our rules about what movies our guests can choose, Alex, because this almost falls into a maybe a year. There's a year thing. Yeah, there's a cutoff, like 20 years before the broadcast of the podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have never seen the piano because it probably came out before they were born. Yeah. And yeah. they just, they should go watch the piano because it is it's a really good movie. They should start with the harpsichord and then work their way up to the sure, piano. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I actually Triangle. thought because a lot of people were thinking about Power of the Dog that it might, you know, people might want to know where 
where she came from. I people mean, don't care. Even yeah, don't care. Yeah, yeah. People don't care anymore. They just watch a movie and they're like, I don't care where that person came from. <laughs> hey, um, just I have to ask you, did you guys see In the Cut? Speaking of Campion, did you guys see that when it was, came out? I did uh, not. I don't think uh, I did um, Meg Ryan and Mark Ruffalo. It got torn apart, I think, critically. But it's really interesting. They, is they it shot, were, it's in Santa Monica. Is it shot in Santa Monica? I'm not know? sure about that, but it was. It's like a murder like, mystery. I, I remember it is. something it, of it. By, yeah. by, um, was it a short story or maybe a novella? It was a I'm, novel. Yeah. It was, was it, a was it a, an yeah. actual novel? Okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Susanna yeah, Moore novel. Yeah. Well, I revisited that one recently too, because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it since it came out. And, Oh, it was, I remember hating it when I saw it in the theater. <laughs> like really, like I love, it looks glorious because she always does interesting things visually and they're using yeah. a lot of swing tilt lenses and stuff like all throughout. And I think mostly because of Meg Ryan, but I went back to it and I was like, actually, it was, it's, it's pretty good. You know, like, I don't know. I guess I was grading her earlier. Anyway, I was curious. It's also pretty, um, it's a little racy. Anyway, you guys should check that one out. Yeah, I'll I, check that I out. Just marked it again. Genre, I'm you know I'm yeah. in. Even if she's yeah. like an art house and whatever, uh, it's a murder mystery. Okay, let me, let me check it out. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. I had a professor at NYU. Sorry, thirty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that what it has? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Sorry, don't start by, me on the Rotten Tomatoes. Like I don't know how that yeah. thing they, like, they, came. I, I don't watch anything until I let them judge for me. So does yeah. it really get a thirty four percent? Are you kidding? Yeah, no, really? Oh one. my god! Ouch! But I want to. I want to watch it now. I, yeah. I, I, I want to see it. Early Mark Ruffalo, by the way. Yeah. Oh my god! I'll watch anything He's Mark Ruffalo's in. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. He is. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thank you guys. Gonna, before so you guys was, find yes. something else to talk about, Karen Moncrief, everyone, <laughs> yeah. you can check out her films, which include Karen in no particular order: Blue Car. The Dead the Girl. The Dead Girl. The yeah. Trials Watch of Kate that McCall. One. Watch The Dead Girl. No, don't girl. see that one. The Keeping Hours. That's, I think, streamable somewhere. Yeah, it's a little scary. <laughs> uh, it, it's on Apple TV, Redbox, and Voodoo right now. Okay. Okay, okay. Anyway, Karen Moncrief has been our guest on How I Got Greenlit. Thank you, Karen, for discussing the piano as well and dealing with our lopsided or strange schedule over the past couple of weeks. The interview it was so fun, you guys. We really appreciate it. Very bright right. light. Thank you for talking to us. Alex, anything else? Again, thank you, Karen. It really was a pleasure. And we appreciate your candor about your early life. And I just think it's great that you picked a film that, I mean, I, I know it was partially on purpose and partially sort of unpacked some discovery of it, but the finding your voice as a woman in in our culture today and all the parallels with the character finding her voice in the piano, I thought was wonderful. And you've had a really interesting journey as every filmmaker we've talked to. There's no story two that's stories. Been similar at all in any way, shape or form, which is fascinating. I to love me. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Film really school, cool. no films. I mean, that's yeah. not even an issue. It's really about what you have, which is that just that burning desire. Yeah. What you have and what you want. Yeah. So good luck on your future endeavors. We look forward to great things from you. (laughs) And thank you for joining us. And thank you all for joining us. This is how I got greenlit. Please, all those critics out there, send me mean emails at <laughs> how, how I got greenlit at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at how I got greenlit and Instagram at how I got greenlit. So please come and say hi. Yeah, please do. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye, y'all. That was Karen Moncrief. Third the third episode of Karen Moncrief, the fascinating Karen Moncrief, and we discussed the piano. I think it's fitting that this last episode was a piano, and we're just gonna push this piano into the ocean. We're gonna get a new to one. To get to break free for, for new lands. New lands. Um, yeah, it's great. It's only been six months for you, but it's been a journey for Ryan and I and uh you know everybody i think over in the world over the last three years so the it's nice to derive you know the, the fruits of the labor and the sort of not knowing if we were ever going to make this show or get it on the air or do anything with it so 
um, feels good. And uh, thank you to everybody who contributed to that, especially Robert Capadonna. I think we have to thank Robert. I think we have to thank Edge. Uh, we have to thank Edgar uh, Carney. Edgar Carney. We have to thank Peter. We're going to thank Pete. Should we thank Pete? Yeah. We no, not Pete. Everyone but Pete. Pete. No, Pete's the secret sauce guy. So, and they, they all help make the show. So. Pete Musto. Uh, just so you guys, I would also like to thank uh, the partners over at Next Chapter Podcast. Yep. Thank you, JT and company, for all your support and belief. And we're very excited to continue into the new year on uh, season two. You should listen to their other shows. The 500 is a great one. Uh, you should check that out because that's a hell of a show. I guess that's it, Alex. Season one in the bag. Did it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Ryan. And uh, thank you all. As always, he's the, your host, Alex, Alex, <laughs> Alex Collegian. There he goes. And he's the host, Ryan Gibson. And we are How I Got Greenland. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.